following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Great hand to yourself for just being here today. Come on, clap your hands. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, y'all know, y'all know I'm in love with this class, this session here. I'm in love with you. Y'all are the last thing that I have between me and lunch. You know that. I'd like to declare that I'm on a fast. It's been 10 days since I have touched any bluebell. 10 days. And I feel that I think that I will have the strength to endure. Through this. I hope so. I'm hoping to get off of it all together. Kind of, kind of. King's X. Uh, I know you're fasting. I know you're praying. I know you're setting things aside. And uh, I think it's wonderful. My wife is fasting social media. And last night I had to pray for her. She's about to lose her mind. No, I'm teasing. Uh, but what a joy. What a joy to be in this time and this season. I think it's the greatest start to a new year that we've ever had at Christian Life Church because we are entering this year with focused prayer and with fasting and with giving up things in our life that we just don't need in our life. We just don't need them. And so I think it's important that you stay on track. We start our eighth day tomorrow in prayer. I will be here to meet you in the morning at 6 o'clock. We have had such great turnouts, and I am so overwhelmed at what you folks are doing for yourselves and for the kingdom of God with your prayer and your fasting. So I thank you for that. Turn to somebody and say, you look real good today. Now, would you stand up with me? Say, would you stand up with me? We're going to hear the word of the Lord today. I give, uh, I give you regards from my sweetheart, my, my sweet pea, my wife. Uh, she, had, uh, she had duty with Cassidy's baby, little Ellery, on Wednesday night. She, she had hand and mouth and foot disease, that little... <laughs> Things that runs through kids, it's, it's uh, very contagious. And so, running with cousins, she gave it to little Lennon, Caitlin's little girl. And so, Patty's at the Davis house today taking care of little Lennon. And uh, she, didn't get, she didn't get anything from Ellery, so I'm hoping she don't bring something home from Lennon. Because I don't want, I don't want to have the mouth and the hand and the foot disease myself. <laughs> Amen. And I pray God's protection upon all of you folks. Amen. Because I know things are going around in our schools and all. I'm going to speak today on something that I feel very confident of. I feel very strongly about. It's something the Lord gave me in my ministry. And I I just want to share it with you. I'm speaking today on the second Sunday of the new year, the case of burned stones. The case of burned stones. And uh, I, I trust that this will bless you today and maybe help you to start your new year right. Nehemiah chapter 4 says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves and will they sacrifice? And will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned. Everybody say they're burned. First Peter 2 and 5 says you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I'm speaking today on the case of burned stones. 
Balcony, thank you for being with us today. We opened it up for you today, and thank you for being here. And I think we counted 32 up there, so I want 32 to be there when I get through preaching. I love you. Amen. Y'all are awesome people. You may be seated. God bless you. You're incredible folks, and I love you very much. All of our guests, let's give them a great hand. We're honored to have all of our guests today. A lone rider on a big horse surveys the city of Jerusalem late one night, looking and longing for some answers to the rubbish that surrounds the city. For 70 years prior, Babylon, the armies of Babylon, had invaded and the Jews were taken to a captive place, believing they would never return to their native land. Yet God, in His mercy, allowed them to return, and now the project of rebuilding had begun. So there were some questions that had to be answered. Was there enough material to do the job of rebuilding? Was there enough energy to get it done? And was there any reason to renew the building of the wall or was it just a hope? Yes to all three of these questions. But then the laughter began. The enemy began to mock the project, made fun of the material and the effort. And the enemy made this statement. Sanballat said, can stones be revived that are burned? Can they be revived? Can something that, have, that has seen the fires of destruction and hell ever live again? Can it be placed back into the walls of life? Can it reassemble itself and be counted as a part of the stones of the, li- of the walls of life? And can God use once lively stones that have been burned by life again? I come this afternoon with a message of hope. I trust a powerful message of hope. One that I am not reluctant to share. Hell would rather I had never found this illumination, but I have found it. This message I speak today is threefold. Number one, to clear up a misunderstood scripture. And number two, to conquer fear in the hearts of men. And number three, to place people in the favor of Almighty God. That's why I come today. One of the most misunderstood scriptures in the Bible has caused confusion and lies for years. Is found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. He's telling this to Moses. Keep mercy for thousands. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. Then he says, visiting the iniquity of the father upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. Everybody say third and fourth generation. (laughs) Exodus 20 and 5 reexamines that scripture. Numbers 14 and 18 does the same. And Deuteronomy 5 and 9 the same. It's sister scriptures to this verse. And from these scriptures, many people, including this pastor when I was a younger man, have concluded that there are such things as unavoidable, unchangeable, unalterable generational curses. Things done before by others, before perhaps you were alive or when you were a child, done to your life, that cling to you like a parasite or like a barnacle to a ship. And for the rest of your life, you wrestle with that thing called a curse, a generational curse. They cannot be avoided. They cannot be looked over. And they are dealt with outside and above the area of salvation. Now I could stand here today and declare to you 
that I have never dealt with a person who because of a father's sin has suffered a parallel sin, but it would not be the truth. I could declare to you that I've never dealt with someone who because of of abuse administered to them has become abusive to their children. Again, that's not true. Or I could declare to you that I've never dealt with someone who because of anger or rebellion in their genealogy has experienced the same anger or rebellion in their family because it would not be true. And for me to say that that has never happened would be a falsehood and the truth would be far from me. For these tendencies manifest themselves continually in the lives of people. These traits are evident. I've seen them time and again in my 47, almost 48 years of ministry. It's very apparent and rampant in society. The DNA of genealogy and the heredity of a father's sins affects the generations that follow And we have statements like, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. And we follow that and we think that that's just how it's going to always be. However, before I get too negative in my research on the subject, stop right there. Stop right there. Just because I have seen these things in my ministry does not make me believe that the enemy of our soul has access to our homes. Has access to our lives has access to our jobs and our sleep, for crying out loud, and our success. And it does not prohibit me from declaring some necessary things to this body of believers today. Number one, I believe that Calvary is hell stop sign. Number two, I believe the blood of Jesus answers all sin questions. Somebody get excited with me on that. Number three, I believe that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and are safe. And I believe, number four, that the power working with me is greater than the power working against me. And number five, that the spirit-filled life is hell's antidote. Hell can't handle the child of God. Everybody say, Satan is defeated. defeated. Don't follow me now. Don't don't say it now, but I'm going to preach now. Not destroyed, but defeated. Calvary defeated him. 1 Peter 5 and 8 calls him a roaring lion. Lions roar for two reasons. Number one, because he's hungry and he's not full. And number two, because he missed his prey. And as long as he's roaring, he's still hungry. And as long as he's roaring, he still missed us. He's just trying to scare us. Hallelujah. I believe people washed by baptism and filled with the Spirit of God, living a life of good morals, need not fear what the enemy can do to you. Nor do I believe that there needs to be some incantations or some exorcism or some casting out service to take these curses away that some feel are a part of their lives. I'm here to declare, I stand against generational curses in this house today. Clap your hands and rejoice with me. I'm going to preach to you. The word curse, according to the dictionary, has three powerful definitions. Number one. The first definition is a prayer or invocation for harm to come against someone or come to someone. Number two, it's a word or expression used in swearing or profanity. Anybody ever cursed in this house? Like when you hit your thumb with that hammer? And you said, oh, thank you, Jesus, for letting me split my thumb today. I honor you, precious Lord. No, you probably said, and if you didn't say it, you thought it. And then the third is biblically, it is empowered to fail. Three definitions. 
The word curse is used 185 times in the Bible. And many people feel that the first, a prayer or invocation for harm, is a type of a hex. Perhaps a form of witchcraft or sorcery or magic. That someone can just conjure up a curse on a child of God. That we are subject as children of God to any voodoo, to any black magic or a witch or evil. Can I tell you something, folks? That's not the Bible. That's Hollywood. The Bible is not Hollywood, and Hollywood is not the Bible. Through the power of the blood and the name and the spirit, hell cannot curse what God has blessed. Come on, clap your hands real big to that. He can't do it. Can't do it. In the book of Job, Satan had to ask permission to come against Job. And Balaam in the Old Testament book of Numbers tried to curse God's people. He got paid for cursing the people of God. And he got up on top of this high mountain and he said, I bless you. I, and he wanted to curse and they couldn't, and cursing wouldn't come out of his mouth. When he tried to curse them, blessing came out. See, there's benefits, folks, to being born again. There's benefits to being washed in the blood. There's benefits to being filled with the Spirit, as well as defenses placed by God to save us in time of trouble. Because when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Come on, clap your hands to that. That's good stuff. Or the second definition, that somehow God would swear against us, that God would, would, God would curse us, that he would profane us by his mouth. Hear me, that'll never happen. God is our provider. He's our blesser. It was he that said through the word of God that bitter and sweet water cannot come out of the same fountain. God will not bless a child of God one day and curse us the next day. He's not a schizo God. Can you clap your hands to that? That's good stuff. And thirdly, the third definition, that something would empower us to fail. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. A God that saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ will not curse us. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of light, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Nor will that God give us a stumbling block that we cannot get over. A God that saved us will not give us power to fail. He is not sadistic. We get power from him to succeed, not fail. Clap your hands and rejoice in that. So, so we talk about the three curses. Now, there are three words used in Exodus 34. And I'm going to preach now. One is sin. One is transgression, and one is iniquity. They all mean something different. Sin simply means falling short of the mark or missing the mark. It's to fall short of what God has called you to do or God has called you to be. You know, and I know, when I have missed the mark in my life. You know that. That's what sin is. But First John 2 and, 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 and verse 1 says, My little children, I'm going to write something to you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something that you need to know? When you walk in the way, the Bible said agree with an adversary while you're in the way. Hell is saying, you know what? You've sinned and come short. You need to drop to your knees right then. 
and say, Lord, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And in the name of the Lord, God, I'm asking you to forgive me of what my thoughts were, maybe my actions, maybe my words, and get it done right then. And beat him before he gets to the throne and accuses you before the Father. And say, I am going to be blessed, and I'm going to be healed, and I'm going to be set free because I've asked for forgiveness for my sin. Come on, that's what you have to do. You have an advocate with the Father. The second is transgression. It's to go beyond or to overstep pre-established boundaries. Set by divine law. It's doing something to someone else. Trans, transgressing is to get into somebody else's property. To hurt somebody. To wound somebody with your words. To hurt somebody with your actions. To take advantage of somebody that is less than you. Or perhaps not as, not as smart as you are. Not as, not as involved as you are. And take advantage of the poor and the hurt and the destitute. And then there's iniquity. Here's what I want to preach about. It's to distort the heart. It's a certain weakness toward a certain sin. It's like, that, it's like that besetting sin you just can't seem to get over. It's always in your mind. Something done over and over again until it really becomes part of your character. See, sin and transgression focus more on tangible violations. But iniquity deals more with the intangible things of a person's character and a person's mindset and a person's attitude and a person's behavior and personality. There's five things I just listed. I want you to repeat them to me now. Everybody say character. Everybody say mindset. Everybody say attitude. Everybody say behavior. Everybody say personality. Now in Exodus 34, God does not say that he will come and visit sin and transgression. But he said he would come and visit iniquity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me give you a few more scriptures and I'm going to preach to you. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Would you clap your hands for that? That's good stuff. That's the Word. And Paul goes on to say in verse 12, So all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Say it with me. I will not be brought under the power of any. Say it again. I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul states, when I was delivered from sin and transgression, I was set free. My mindset, my attitude, my character, my behavior, my personality will not be subject to a curse of sin That has been forgiven me already. Are you with me? The curse of sin, death, and hell has been broken once and for all. And he said they will never come back and control my mind. Let me preach now. There are people who have been forgiven here today. Right here in this audience. In my first session. In the second session. That have never believed in themselves that they were forgiven. That they were washed. That they were set free. 
What Satan cannot do to a saved spirit, he will do to a soul, the emotions of a person. See, he attacks the mind of a child. He attacks the mind. He makes you think that all this stuff is just an external thing. That you just got emotional one day. And you came here and said, I receive you into my life. That you took the waters of baptism on because you just had emotional experience and nothing really happened. And in your mind, you're battling. Did I really get forgiveness? Did I really get washed? Did I really come clean? Did God really do something for me? And what he will do is battle the iniquity in your mind, your character, your behavior, your moral compass. He will come again and again and again into your mind and say, it didn't have anything to do with where you are now. But I stand here today and say that when Jesus' blood washes you clean, he washes you clean outside and inside head and heart and spirit. Somebody ought to get excited with me right now. That's why Peter instructed the saints to gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, gird up the reproductive process of your mind because the battle is right here. Satan will tell you that because your father was an alcoholic, you'll wind up being an alcoholic Because your family tree has sexual misconduct, you'll wind up bound by sexual habits. Your mom was a user, so you'll be a user. You were mentally abused, and so you'll be an abuser. You were sexually abused, and so you'll be an abuser. You were verbally abused, so you'll be an abuser. Maybe you were called words like we never say in our house, like the word stupid. I even hate to use it across the pulpit. We use, maybe you've heard words like we never use in our house that you were dumb. One man came to me after second service today, big old tall six foot eight guy, and he hugged me, and he said, Pastor, I walked in today never believing that I could be anything, and he said, your message set me free today. He said, it's my second time to visit, and you set me free. He said, I'm going to walk out of here knowing and believing that God has made me free indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe in your house you were called something like the word idiot. You're not that. You have a godly identity. I know about a man in a church of a pastor friend of mine that made his son do all kinds of things to prove his manhood in his life. And the boy got so beside himself because the dad kept calling him a sissy and a no good and would not be able to do anything in life that the boy took his life. And then the father said it was good for him because he never would have made it anyhow. Listen to me when I tell you, don't you let hell or high water or anybody come into your mind and try to tell you that Jesus is not the real thing and salvation is not real and that the Holy Ghost does not work and that the blood of Jesus is not for every one of us and that he's not a healer and that he's not a savior that's a lie from hell and he's the father of all lies somebody get excited and say I've been born again oh I feel like preaching now let me give you some great news psychologists say two things determine the quality of a human being Number one is genealogy or the bloodline, and number two is the environment or how they were raised. If one of them's good and the other's bad, they say it's probably a 50, 50 or 40, 60 that the child will succeed. If the other way, if it's good genealogy and bad environment or bad genealogy and good environment, there's still a chance. But if both are wrong, they say that life probably will not be good in that person's life. Stay with me now because I know there's some people that's come from some tough situations. 
Hallelujah. But you hear me. It doesn't matter if you were born in a crack house. It doesn't matter if you didn't get a good education in your life. If your environment was being slapped around and talked down to all the days of your life. I know a Jesus. I know a Savior that can come into your life. Because every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of light. In whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. I'll never forget one day an old boy came up to me and he said, Pastor, I got it, I got it, I got it. I said, what do you got? He said, I got it, Pastor. He said, my daddy was, was horrible to me. My mama didn't even claim me. But he said, when I got the Lord in my life today, said the Lord told me, you got a brand new father, son. You got a brand new father and a brand new family. Come on into my family. I'm going to talk good about you. I'm going to bless you every day. Can somebody get excited about that? Oh, I want to lift you up. I want to lift your minds and lift your spirits and let you know he does good work when he saves us. He's a great God. He's a great God. Let me give you some some good news. There's a man in the Bible named Heman. I just call him He-Man. He's a He-Man. And when when I got to researching him, I discovered that his dad was an idol maker. His name was Joel. And I discovered that his great-grandfather was a rebel against Moses in the wilderness. His name was Korah. And so Korah was a, was a bad dude. And Joel was an idol maker. Didn't worship the one true God, Jehovah. And yet, that man with bad genealogy and bad environment... Living around his grandpa saying, his great-grandpa saying, you know what, this Moses thing ain't going to work. Living around his daddy saying, you know what, I'm going to make idols. I'm going to go ahead and make idols right here in the wilderness because we need somebody that will be able to have something that somebody can feel and touch and know. We can't see that, God. But when that young man was touched by David one day, he became the praise pastor. He became the praise pastor of David's kingdom. Heman the singer. He became the Randy Davenport of David's day. Can I tell you, it don't matter what your background is. It don't matter what your holdups are. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. When Jesus gets a hold of you, he cleans you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Amen. There was a man born blind in John 9 and Jesus. The disciples asked him, who, who sinned? Here his parents that this man would be born blind. And Jesus said, neither but that the glory of God can be revealed in his life. Here's the point, folks. Each generation, no matter what the past history is, can be touched and healed and blessed and used and affect future lives. I used to pastor one of the smartest men that ever walked in this church. He was a doctor, and he taught at Texas A&M. And I had him here for 12 years. He taught at Texas A&M, and he taught at St. Edward's, and he taught down at Texas State. He taught creative writing, and his name is on my book, with Charles Chargois. Charles Chargois was one of the purest men, but his dad died an alcoholic. His mom died an alcoholic, and Charles was an alcoholic. But one day he found Jesus. And I'll never forget us talking at Serrano's day after day. He loved to go to Serrano's. In fact, when he left to go pastor a church in East Texas, I didn't go back to Serrano's for 10 years. He had me wore out of Serrano's. That's not Bluebell, it's Serrano's. It's different. Amen. But he got sober. 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 I'm sorry. I got to talk about it. He got sober. 
and he never has touched it again. And he's preaching the gospel for the last 10 years in Longview, Texas. And he's raising up a church for the name of the Lord because when Jesus does it, he does it right. He broke the curse. He said no to hell. Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions, our out-of-bounds behavior. But he was bruised for our iniquities, our character and our attitude and our behavior. He was wounded, the external. He was wounded for transgression and sin. With his stripes were healed. The plaid on his head, the, the, the bloody beard, when they pulled his beard out of his face, his face bled. But he was bruised. He was internally bruised for our internal He didn't just save you on the outside. He didn't just save you so you could talk a good talk. He saved you so you could walk a good walk. So you could raise up every morning and say, Thus saith the Lord, I will live for the Lord again today. He is my Savior today because not only does He cleanse you on the outside, He takes care of your iniquities. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. What are those imaginations? That's what hell puts into your mind to tell you that you are not what you think you are in God. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If I know that the sin question has been answered in my life, then I refuse to let iniquities like my character, my mindset, my attitude, my behavior, my personality get the best of me. Iniquities will not take me to hell. Imagination will not take me to the grave. Christ's blood will take me to heaven. Come on now. Come on. Come on. So let's look at, let's look at that, that verse again in Exodus. Let's look at it very closely. He will visit, everybody say visit, visit. The, iniquities. the iniquities. It didn't say he would judge. It didn't say he'd punish. It didn't say he'd condemn. It didn't say he'd destroy. But this God loves us so much that he'll make house calls Amen. to the third and fourth generation. When the Lord gave me this, when the Lord gave me this, I lost myself. I got beside myself. If I could just be so blatant to just get down and just get, just get flat out honest with you, I stood up in my office years ago and I rejoiced beyond measure. Because I had one grandmother that said I would amount to nothing. And another grandmother that said I'd be a preacher. Guess who won? Jesus said I didn't come to condemn the world. But I came to save you. I came to save you. My father-in-law passed 10 years ago last October. He was my my buddy. He passed. And I hope I'm not boring you here too much today. Let Let me preach a little more. And one day when Patty was a little girl and she had that little ponytail and she ran, she ran like, you know, we look at our grandkids, they run all over the kingdom and we did too. In fact, I probably was the first ADD child. I probably didn't know what that was back then, but I was super, super active and maybe a little hyper. I really was. I probably was a little hyper. 
So mom and dad got me a, got me a goal outside, and I shot basketball sometime in the summer 10 hours a day. 10 hours a day, and I'd come in, and I'd say, can I have some dinner? And then, Daddy, would you turn the floodlight on so I can shoot some more basketball? I just kind of had to get the energy out. And, but but Patty, got, Patty got lost in a Wiener's store in Houston one day. She was a little kid. And Daddy Frank, that's what we called him, Daddy Frank, a pastor, was a very mild-mannered man. But when he realized his daughter was missing, he went nuts. He went crazy. He just went crazy. And he started running down the aisles and pushing people aside because they're in his way to get down that aisle. He's checking every aisle, every aisle, trying to find sweet Patty. And she was gone for about 10 minutes, and they couldn't find her. They could not find her. And he ran into the back where the stalkers were, and they were getting their stuff together. And he said, anybody seen a little girl about this high? Got a little ponytail. She's cute as a button. Anybody seen her? Anybody seen her? They said, no, sir. He said, if you're lying to me, I'll come back and exact from you. A pastor saying that. And he went out in the back, and he went out in the back, and there was an old, there was <laughs> this old man under a cardboard, bless his heart. And he was trying to get some rest. And my father-in-law ripped that cardboard off of him. He said, have you seen a little old girl out here? He said, no, sir, I hadn't. He said, you lying to me? He said, no, sir, I'm not lying to you. He said, if you have, I will come back and exact from you. I'll take some skin off. <laughs> he was aggravated because he wanted to find his daughter. And finally, when he found her, he wrapped her up. Can I tell you, if an earthly father will act like that when one of his kids is wandering in a store, lost a little bit. What do you think a heavenly father is going to do? What do, you, what do you think a heavenly father is going to do? He's going to come and push everything out of the way and say, I'm tired of hell giving you a mindset that says that Calvary was not the answer and my blood will not do the job and my name is not important. It is important. I have saved you. Now live like a saved person. Get your, get your heart right. Get your mind right. And let's have a 2018 of praising God and loving God with everything that's in us. He'll find us. He'll find us. He'll find us. He'll find us. Ezekiel 18 said, What mean ye then to use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. He said, As I live, saith the Lord God, as I live, and I'm not going away, you shall not have occasion anymore to use that proverb in Israel. Don't say it anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. As the souls of the Father, so also the souls of the Son is mine. Each man bears his own iniquity. You're not going to... You're not going to share your dad's or your dad's not going to share yours. Your, every man is his own. If a father does not live right, he'll die. If a son chooses to live right, he'll live. Amen. Verse 20, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither the father shall bear the iniquity of the son. Some of you parents that have lived right and have done the right thing and you've got children that are not doing right, don't you let hell come in and try to blame you and put you under and say you never had what it took to get those kids to where they need to be. You stand strong and said, you know, we're going to train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart. And our child will be back and they'll come home to us again. Amen. Our, our children, if your parents have not lived right, don't you say that I'll just always be like this. No, 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 no. You stand up. And you declare, I will be what God wants me to be. The Bible said in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Open your mouth. See, the Bible said, the Bible says, only God knows the heart. The devil doesn't know what's in here. Only God knows the heart and tries the reins. So what happens is that we get to feeling bad and feeling like that we're not an overcomer and we're not good enough and we start saying bad stuff about ourselves. and then hell gets a hold of that and says, you know what, you're really not that good. So every morning you ought to get up and start declaring every day 
every day. I declare, speak it, come on. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Speak it every day. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. And hell said, you know what? I might all leave them alone. They're doing pretty good over there. I'm going to find somebody that's not talking just right. I'm telling you, it's time to declare the salvation of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so today. Amen. Amen. Let's rejoice in that. Quit getting credit from just the bad people in your family. Start taking credit from the good people in your family. Amen. Amen. Draw credit from the good. I, I sat by a little lady one night at a Spurs game. Her and her husband were extremely wealthy people and a lawyer taking me down and they had some of the best seats I'd ever sat in. I was afraid to get up and leave because I thought somebody might get my seat. <laughs> and she was much older than me and I was a lot younger then. I was pastor of the church then. It's probably 20 years ago. And we were sitting there and when her husband and the attorney that took me to that game went, went to go get us something to drink and I said, I'll just stay here. I want to. I'm just so happy to be there. She sat by me. She told me a story worth telling it, worth telling at halftime. She said, one day we used to go to our grandmother's house every summer and said there was eight of us. And said, one day grandmama got us in the, in the living room and said, she said, come here, kids. And said, she was a praying woman and said she was full of the Holy Ghost. And, and when that woman said that, I said, oh, my Lord, this woman's had a touch. And said, she laid hands on all of us kids. And she said, I'm going to cast the devil out and put Jesus in you. That's what grandmama said to him. And so she shook us and said she prayed for us. And then she said, come on, kids, we're going down to the river. And said so she took us down to the river, and she baptized us and held us all under. So she just held us under, just shook us under the water, just holding us under, and then raised us up. And she said she told us when we had our wet heads and we'd been laid hands on and baptized, she said, now, kids, this will do you all the days of your life. Don't let hell tell you anything different. God is for you. And if God's for you, who can be against you? And said, it got in my brain. It got in my heart. It got in my head. And said, Pastor, anytime hell comes around trying to tell me that I don't have anything, I'll go back when I was a little old child and I realized that Grandma prayed Jesus in me and held me under the water till I bubbled because I received something from God that day. Come on, clap your hands. Let's rejoice in the fact that Jesus does a good job. So I close. Randy, if you'll help me. If you'll help me. Wow. You know, I could preach on this all day. You know that, don't you? There are things listed in Deuteronomy 27 that will bring a curse to you, and they're, they're pretty bad stuff. Some pretty bad, pretty bad business there. You want to read it, you can go read it today. But prior to the curses listed, there's instructions for an altar to be built. Eddie Ball. That an altar was to be made of stone, not hewn stone, not with tools, but this stone that the Lord had made, and we've talked about this before, which meant that the stones would be burned with fire again and again and again because that's where the sacrifices would be made. And just because the, the stones were burned by sacrifice did not stop them from being valuable for the next sacrifice. And so Nehemiah, understanding that, Understanding that, took those burned stones that had been destroyed by Babylon and knocked a little bit of the, the bad burn off, put them back in the wall, and built the wall in 52 days. You know why? Because he understood a principle that all of us need to understand. When you get burned, it does not mean it's over. It just means that you need to make another sacrifice and say, Lord... I'm going to call on your name again.
because I want to be a lively stone placed in the wall to be used in the last day for the kingdom of God in this world. Clap your hands and receive the word today. Amen. I got a picture I want to show you here today. It's a picture painted by Faust, F-A-U-S-T. Maybe it's Faust, Faust, I don't know. But it's the devil playing a young man in a game of chess. And the name of the picture is Checkmate. That's the name of the picture. Look at the devil. He looks like, you know, he's got the young man. If you get up real close to this picture, you'll see the young man is sweating. Because the devil has, is going to make a move that's going to checkmate this young man. It's going to be over. And one day, a grandmaster named Bobby Fisher went into this art museum and, and stood at this because he's a, he's a, he's a grandmaster. He stood at this, looked at this picture for a long time. And all of a sudden, he just, he, just, he just stood up straight and he said, wait a minute, hold on just a minute. Bring me a chessboard, bring me a chessboard. They brought him a chessboard and he put it down and he put the pieces together, put it on the chessboard like was there. Thank God the angel was there. <laughs> I guess that's what that is. That's an angel. And he put it on that chessboard and he looked at it a long time. And he said, it's a lie. It's a lie. That picture is a lie. Because even if the devil makes another move, the young man can make his move and the devil's checkmated, not the young man. That got me excited. Here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm saying. Some of us are waiting for God to make a move when we need to make a move. Because the Lord's already done his part for us. He went to the cross. He suffered and died, was buried, rose again, and ascended, and sent back a comforter called the Holy Ghost to help us. And the Holy Ghost, he is here today. He's here right now to do a work in your life and in your heart. Checkmate is not against the man. It's against the enemy. Because we've got some more moves. You know what that move is? Call it on the Lord in your life today. Saying, Lord, I surrender my mind, I surrender my heart, I surrender my, my, my mouth, I surrender every bit of me to you. I surrender all today. I give it all to you. And so that's where we're going to end today. Would you stand all over the building and lift your hands over your head and clap them above your head and say, I thank you for the word of the Lord today, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you for the word of the Lord today. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Sing it with me. I surrender I surrender all, all to Thee, blessed Savior, I surrender.
Bow your heads, close your eyes just a moment. Something I've never shared with you. But I know what abuse is. I've been abused, not by mom and dad, but by my kinfolk. I've been abused. Verbally, I've been abused. Physically, I've been abused. But you know what? When I was seven years of age, I went down in the waters of baptism. And I came out and I said, I'm going to live for you. I'll never forget what I prayed. I said, Lord, if you want to make me a missionary, I'll go anywhere to the darkest part of any country and declare your name. A seven-year-old boy, I prayed that prayer. When I was nine, I was privileged to receive the baptism. And I'd like to say that it was, it was fixed from then on, but it wasn't because I battled. I battled with my, my thought process. I battled with... I'd like to say that I'm the man of steel, but I'm not. I battle with my mindset. I battle with my attitude. I battle with things. I battle with my iniquities. But when God, when God showed me many years ago this beautiful scripture, this beautiful scripture that I just read to you today from the book of Exodus, when he showed me that, that he would visit, he would visit the iniquities of his children to the third and fourth generation in other words there was nothing that was done against me that would stop him from loving me and from caring for me and for lifting me up in the day my mind got healed my preaching took another leap and I was a minister not thinking that I would ever be effective because of what had been done to me in my past that I would just be one of those also ran men. But God, God established me and touched my mind. And He came and visited me, and He still does today. He have visited you, the third and fourth generation. So don't, don't hold your hand up and say, Pastor, I can't, I can't live this. I can't make this happen. With your eyes closed and no one looking but me and you, when you raise your hand, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise it if you need.